I've got one! I don't normally start the podcast like this, but I'm stuck in my stupid, crappy, temporary office. It's a little space in my front room where I put up two folding desks. I put my laptop on a stupid laptop stand so I can pretend I got a proper computer. Cause why? Coronavirus, that's why Stupid, stupid lockdown And that's why I'm starting this podcast like this Which might not be the best solution Anyway, um, I'm Oliver Double I'm a lecturer at the University of Kent And this is the Proper Job Gradcast In which we explore how a degree in drama Can lead to all kinds of interesting careers in the arts This will be interesting to you If you're thinking of studying drama at Kent Or you are currently studying drama at Kent Or you are just interested in stuff In every episode I interview a Kent drama graduate Working in the arts And this time I'm talking to Storm Toulis uh, I should just say that uh, this interview was carried out via Zoom, so there are weird bits of the audio, and you can hear my computer ping every now and then because I forgot to turn off all the email settings, uh, which isn't brilliant, but, you know, it's better than nothing. And also, it's better than nothing because Storm was an amazing interviewee. I think you're going to enjoy listening to her because Storm, you might be aware of her work. You maybe saw her in the West End acting in a West End show uh, last autumn, or you might have seen her in New Tricks, where she was a regular cast member a few years ago, or you might have even seen her in a saucy Maltesers advert. So, without further ado, here's Storm. So, thank you so much for doing this, that's brilliant. Oh, no problem, like, thank you for inviting me, it's nice to be able to, you know... To reconnect with people because I feel like it's been so long since I was at Kent. So, okay, well let's let's start with that. So, uh, for the purpose of the interview, who are you and when did you graduate? Okay, I am Storm Tulis and I graduated in English and Drama in two thousand and fourteen. Right, so you were with us from twenty eleven to two thousand and fourteen. Yeah, superb. So, tell me about what your current job is and what kind of things you that entails. Well, I've done, I've actually done all sorts of things. My current job, I'm due to start a new job in um, September and I will be a drama teacher in a secondary school in Dulwich in London. So uh, that is my next move in terms of job. At the moment, I am just preparing for that and waiting for it to start. So I've been, I've done a variety of stuff before that, but I'm sure we'll have time to get into that, so... <laughs> yeah, well, that's my, that's my immediate job thing. So, <laughs> anything else before that, I can tell you when you need to know. Well, why don't we go to that straight away? Because um, you, you, you slightly modest about that, but uh, you've had some good jobs as an actor, right? I've had a pretty good like run. I've been very lucky. Yeah, like when when I was at Kent. I was working at the same time um, in the in the TV, so I was working on uh, New Tricks, which was a, a a long running BBC series. I somehow managed to get a series regular on that while doing my degree, and then after that, I have done various kind of t- 
teaching in education and um, I was a TA, I worked in a school for children who were excluded, I worked and I've been acting as well along, along the same time. So last year I was very lucky to get my first West End job so I worked, I was the lead in a play in the West End with Toby Stevens and Claire Skinner called A Day in the Death of Joe Egg which was a revival of a Peter Nichols play from the 60s um, and that run for three weeks and then that ended in November last year. I've also done a done another degree. I did a PGCE, so a teacher training from UCL and I finished uh, last July before I went on stage. So I've had a kind of very up and down, like it's been, it's been sort of very variable, but I've been very lucky in what I've done. And I mean, the, the, the day of the death of Joe Egg is, is significant, isn't it? Because it was the, it's, I'm not right in saying that it was the first time a disabled actor had played the role of Joe Egg. Yeah, I mean, it seems slightly bizarre, really, since the whole play centres on a child with a disability. So why, why they would choose someone who wasn't disabled to play that role is slightly baffling. But it was a real, I mean, that whole experience, that whole three months was a real learning curve for me. Like, it was the, I was never, I had actually never intended to go back into acting after qualifying as a teacher. I really wanted to stay in education because that's something that I really passionately believe in. And I didn't really intend on going back into it, but I just didn't manage to secure my NQT years. So I sort of, on a massive whim, like saw this job and it came up for it and I auditioned and I was lucky enough to get it. But it was something that was totally out of the blue. And I think with acting and stuff, people always assume that you're always working. A lot of the time you're waiting all the time. It's not like it happens. It's not a consistent way of living. And so people probably need to know that it's not as fun as they think it is. It can be amazing. <laughs> it can be wonderful. But there's a lot of time that you spend waiting for things. And sometimes there's a lot of rejection and there's a lot of, yeah, don't know really what I mean, but. <laughs> well, I, th I think just to pick up on on the, I mean, there's loads of things you've said there that are really interesting. But just to pick up on the death of Joe, day the death of Joe Egg thing. I mean, that was first produced, I think, in 90, 1967. So we're talking about a play with a half century history, and you would have, and, it, and it's about um, a couple with a with a uh, disabled daughter, right? Yeah. And and so you and you were the first disabled actor to play that role in the West. So that, I mean, that's, that's an interesting political issue, isn't it? Yeah, of course. I mean, when I've um, been acting previously, I've always been asked, how do you feel about disabled, non-disabled actors playing disabled roles? And I've always said that if the role is specifically for a disabled person, you should try your best to cast a disabled actor. Now, equally, there is the whole thing about, you know, having an actor with a certain profile and a certain name and a certain level of understanding where the entertainment industry thrives on, you know, if you put Eddie Redman in a role, people are going to come and see it because he's worth millions of pounds. But that doesn't mean that you should try and champion disabled talent as much as you possibly can. I think my opinion on that has kind of gone up and down over the years, depending on, because you tend to get asked it a lot. And sometimes I just think, I don't know. It isn't always my priority, really. 
But I mean, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I mean, that, no, I mean, that makes absolute sense. It must be annoying to always get the same question. But I mean, I think that for me, the, the thing about going, oh, we want to cast somebody who's known, that, that's a sort of vicious circle, isn't it? Because how can disabled actors become known if they don't get cast? Yeah, you need to give us it all. You need to make sure that you give everybody a chance. And I always think that it's about getting the best person for the job. And whether that is a disabled person or whether it isn't, but you should always strive for putting the disabled people, try the talent first. And then if you can't find it, then go looking for other people. But I think, I think, yeah, also you do have to understand that it is the entertainment industry and it is built on certain things and that isn't always the correct thing but it is the reality of it and if you're if you're telling if i was telling a younger disabled actor i would remind them of that and not in you know i would say that there will be a lot of rejection it is naturally harder to get into it but it is totally worth trying if you can oh there's so much i want to pick up on there uh that's so interesting um I mean, before before I do though, you did, I mean, New Tricks and Day of the Death of Joe Egg aren't the only high profile things you've done, right? Because you also did Redefining Juliet. I did. That was my own thing that I did, and I really that was my own. That actually came off the back of being in Kent, which I can I can give like that was the credit of the lovely Sean Stevenson, who uh, I had during my degree, and she gave me the opportunity to play Juliet and that kind of got me thinking about what other facets of, you know, female females aren't explored in being able to play that lead role in Shakespeare and why the scope of diverse casting is always so small and what, but I didn't want, even with that, I didn't want disability to be the central focus. I wanted it to be about just different kinds of intersectionality as opposed to See, this is my thing. Sometimes when you are a disabled person in a position of kind of, if you have a bit of a profile, that's the thing that people know you for the most. So in all the work that I do, I try to not make it the central focus. Even though sometimes it, with Joe Egg, it obviously was. With, you know, Maltese advert, obviously was. But that's sometimes why when those questions got up earlier, it's interesting to kind of look at it from another way. But yeah, um, Redefining Juliet was amazing. I was incredibly lucky to partner with the Barbican and the Royal Shakespeare Company doing that. Um, and it came from wanting to play Juliet myself for a long time and then looking at the other types of women that didn't get cast. So we had a trans Juliet, we had a deaf Juliet, we had a Juliet who was very tall, we had a Juliet who was very you know, large, we had different facets of females and that was what was more important rather than look at this amazing disabled company of actors who were putting this Shakespeare play on together which you know it, tend, it always tends to like come across as a little bit like oh they're so wonderful just for doing something that's quite ordinary. I think I don't always want to talk about my disability which sounds weird because like it's obviously what people know me for but for me it's such a small thing it's a small aspect of my life that's like the least interesting thing about me, I think. Well, I think, I think that's, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a really, really well put. I mean, it, it, it's obvious that you're a person, right? I mean, yeah. it's, you're a disabled person, but the person bit is the important bit. <laughs> yeah, of course. Like, I'm, I'm quite ordinary. Like, I don't, <laughs> like, and yeah, like, so when people, 
I mean, it's not, I'm not like, I don't get offended or anything. I just think sometimes you can get so caught up in that narrative that it's difficult to see things in the wider kind of context. I just have a regular 20 something year old life and I happen to be disabled, but that isn't something that I sort of, that I go in and go, hello, this is me. And I have this huge thing to tell you, like also cause you can see, so. That's the difference, isn't it, between a visible and invisible disability? Yeah. But I, I mean, you, you talked. I mean, let's talk about you as a person and as a, as an actor before we perhaps move on to talking about your your coming job as a teacher. Uh, you were talking about the the challenge of re- rejection, and I mean, I think one of the points of this uh, podcast is to get students and, and would be students to think about the focus that's needed to get to where they want to get to in whatever creative job they want to do. So. You know, you, the fact is, you you know, as you've said yourself, you've had uh, rejection as an actor, but you've also had some, you know, significant moments of, of success too. So how yeah. did you how did you deal with the the issue of rejection and and building contacts and getting getting the foot in the door and stuff? I think if you have a drive for something, and loads, of, it's a very obvious thing to say, but you will find a way to do it. I think. One of the most important things I want people, especially students, to understand is that it is possible. You will find a way. If you feel certain, passionate about a certain thing, there's so much, you know, go to a free event and mingle with the director, have a glass, you know, go and be a really annoying person and knock on someone's door and say, please excuse me, can I talk to you for two seconds about, you know, can I buy you a coffee for 20 minutes to ask you something? Like, don't, be afraid to be someone who like is a bit irritating and don't be afraid to be persistent. Don't be afraid to be like, don't give up on something just because your parents tell you that, Oh, it might not, might, you should be a chemist or you should be like being creative. The world needs creativity, especially now, especially because of everything going on in the world. We need the arts. The arts is a massive healer. The arts is going to, keep the mental health of this country alive. So we need the younger generations to be able to come in and be like, just be persistent. And my best thing with dealing with rejection is, if it was supposed to happen, it would have happened. If it wasn't supposed to happen, it wouldn't have happened. Things somehow find a way of working themselves out. In It might be in a very roundabout way, but things always come good in the end. You always will find a way to get into it in the end. There's so many roots into things as well. People always think that to be an actor, you have to go to drama school. I've never been to drama school. And one of the things that I remember feeling like real massive imposter syndrome in Nutrix because I'd had no training. I was 19. I didn't know anything about anything that I'd been doing. And I was living in Canterbury trying to just be a 19-year-old student. And then all of a sudden people knew who I was and you know it sounds very like pretentious to be like oh everybody knew me but it was really you know not having any of that and knowing that you you got there yourself on your own merit so don't feel like you have to take a traditional route into something there will be another way you can do something if you really want to do it did that make any sense no that that was absolutely brilliant uh and, and actually it's interesting because I know quite a lot of Kent drama graduates who are out there doing interesting jobs. And one of the things that's really kind of um, 
very common amongst them is that thing of persistence and building networks and just keeping trying. Um, and yeah, I, we all have to start somewhere, don't we? So. Yeah, and I think the thing you were saying about sort of taking a slightly fatalistic approach about it, well, if it wasn't meant to happen, it wasn't meant to happen, that's probably a very healthy way of looking at it as well. I mean, it takes a long time and because it comes with confidence in yourself as well because I didn't always think that. I didn't always think in that way. I didn't always... I didn't always... Now, I feel like I'm more a lot more tough than I have than I was. So it's very easy for me to say that six years out of university and... But being able to think when you're 19, 20, oh, I really wanted to get this job. I really wanted to do this. Like, you just have to find another way. And you need to find another route or find if there's another course you can do in another place and then that might let you into where you need to be. So I think the biggest thing I would say is just don't be afraid to do it in a slightly less conventional way things are not always linear yeah i think that makes a lot of sense uh, and also that, that that's quite reassuring for if anybody's listening to this and sort of thinking well i haven't got that kind of confidence the idea that you can develop it and you can toughen up that's quite yeah reassuring. i didn't have it like no no like it's so and also it's okay not to have it it's okay to say you know what i really don't know what to do because if you say i really don't know what to do then people will come in your life hopefully people will come into your life and guide you you know even your lecturers people will come in and tell you you know is there something that you if you work on yourself enough you will be able to find that confidence somehow absolutely so so you've mentioned this a bit already in relation to redefining Juliet but what if anything did you do at Kent that that sort of helped you in your career as you've after you've graduated you know what knowledge or skills or whatever I think Kent gave me a space to play. It gave me, like, Sean being able to let me play those scenes and use the lift in my wheelchair like I did. It gave me the opportunity to explore something. At the time, I didn't realise the significance of what it was because at the time, I was just a student in a lesson and it just was something that was happening and I didn't recognise that, the privilege of that opportunity. But I think Kent gave me an opportunity to sort of to develop my skills as a writer, to develop my skills as a performer, to be able to just have fun. Uni should be about also enjoying yourself and finding yourself and, and having experiences like outside of academia that you wouldn't normally have because you have those three years to really figure out what you want to do. But equally, if it takes you another three years, that's also fine. Like. I'm just settling into what I want to do now and I've left six years later. So yeah, I think Kent gave me the space to, the physical and metaphorical space to play and to learn about things and to understand a bit more about, about drama and, uh, and also to, to hone my skills as a writer so that I could be a confident academic writer and to be able to develop as a human and figure out my next move, I guess. Talking, talking of your next move, so you're moving into teaching. Do you want to tell us a bit about, a bit about that? Yeah, um, I did my PGCE last year. I've kind of always thought, um, thought about being a teacher because I feel like it's crucially important for especially the younger, younger generations to see disabled people in a position of power and influence and to be able to recognise that if they can do it, and you know, 
if I can do it, then they can do it. And also it's about making disability part of the ordinary fabric of working life. I I know earlier I said I don't like banging on about it, but sometimes, like when I did my PGC, I was the only I was the only disabled person in my cohort. They'd never had someone else in a wheelchair qualify as an English teacher before. And the reason that I did that, the reason I made that statement is because being a teacher is a very, very, very ordinary thing. And for if you are disabled, you need to be able to access that ordinary space. We don't, we see a lot of, there's this idea of when you're disabled, you have to be this Paralympian, superhuman, wonderful person. And actually, it would be nice to just see disabled lawyers, disabled bankers, disabled, you know, nurses, disabled doctors, just because it's part of the fabric of life. And yeah, the reason I wanted to be a teacher is just because I wanted to, to help. And I feel like being a teacher is going to be a really, there's a lot I can say to young people. And also it's, there's a lot I can, there's a framework of a career that I can, you know, build up in and being able to teach drama is so wonderful because drama is what gave me my self-confidence. So being able to pass that on to the younger generations and also being able to like, I think, yeah, see, be seen as a position of authority and respect and to be able to be just part of the ordinary fabric of working society and contribute and show that you can just be, you know, slightly ordinary. I don't know if that sort of makes sense. It makes a lot of sense, a huge amount of sense. <laughs> Do you think you'll, you'll have any space in your life to continue with bits of writing and acting? Um, I don't know, like, I sort of, I really enjoy acting, and I really enjoy aspects of it, I love doing creativity and exploring characters and stuff, but I wouldn't be angry if I never did it again, because with acting there comes a level of exposure that, that you need to be kind of emotionally ready for before you take it on, and even though if it does happen I'd be very, very lucky and I'm not. I'm definitely not hanging up my cloak forever and saying I never want to do it again. But, you know, there is an element of me that that kind of would like to be somewhat less involved in it just because I feel like it's... Oh, I don't know how to explain it, but... Yeah, I would quite like sort of an ordinary life now. And... Um, but, you know, I, I might very well do it again. I've still got my agent. I've still been up for things but I sort of try not to make acting the centre of my life and then that's really when it tends to happen because when you're doing other things that's when it comes along and so I honestly couldn't answer in my head I'd like to say no maybe will I I'm not sure probably at some point again probably not forever though because yeah I don't know I feel like I might have answered that question I think you have very well as well Um, uh, I have one more question that I'd like to ask, which is the last question I always ask in this uh, podcast, which is, uh, this is called the proper job gradcast, and it's called proper job because that's what people say, oh, if you do drama, you'll never get a proper job. So what would you say to somebody who said that? Tell them they're talking bollocks. Um, <laughs> I would tell them that the Netflix documentary that they just watched five minutes ago came from someone who did a degree in drama. The only reason that we have mentally survived as a country during coronavirus is because we have been able to watch TV. We have been able to listen to podcasts. We have been able to do 
to watch recordings of theatre. We have been able to do all of those things because of people who work in the arts. That's literally what's kept our nation sane. So the idea that it's not a proper job is just, is nonsense because, yeah, we wouldn't have been able to survive lockdown if we had nothing to watch, nothing to listen to, nothing to read, nothing to... So, of course, it is a proper job. Everyone needs to... Everyone has a contribution to make towards society and the arts, I believe, makes one of the biggest contributions. Probably the best answer we've had so far to the final question about what would you say to somebody... Uh, who says that a degree in drama will lead to a proper job. I think Storm used a, a cracking, fine, old English word there <laughs> to put down the detractors. I, I really enjoyed talking to Storm, as you can probably tell. And I think that what she has to say about building your confidence and building your ability to deal with the rejection that's an inevitable part of being an actor is really fascinating. I also think it's really interesting, you know, having enjoyed success as an actor and a writer to then decide that what you really want to do with your life is to become a teacher. And it was really interesting hearing about that. So anyway, that's all for this episode. We'll be back with another one very soon. Got to, got to get a proper job.